Shall we begin? This episode of No Accounting for Taste is sponsored by Intuit QuickBooks. It's great to have such a well-established and thought-leading sponsor on board for the podcast. Just as we deliver everything you need from accounting news, QuickBooks has everything you need for your accounting software, including making tax digital. For more information, go to quickbooks.co.uk forward slash delightful. Enjoy the show. Let's begin Hello, Richard Hattersley here, and welcome to No Accounting for Taste, the podcast for accountants from your friends here at accountingweb.co.uk. Today we'll be talking about starting a practice, the old chestnut known as Brexit, and out-of-office emails, along with our usual run through the headlines. This is pod episode number 19, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be talking about the International Accounting Standard 19. So apologies in advance if anyone's expecting an, an employing benefits lecture, you're going to be disappointed. 19 is coincidentally the title of pop singer Adele's breakout album. So to help me chase the accounting pavements is our business editor and resident raconteur, Francois Badenhorst. I resent you for that Adele thing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not going to greet our audience because I'm too upset. Oh, Fran, come on now, come on now. I had you down as uh, an Adele aficionado. Hmm. No. Uh, conspicuous by his absence is our glorious leader and editor of the site, Tom Herbert, who has been given the cold shoulder, another Adele hit for those uh, Adele fans, after his pantastic conclusion to last week, to last episode. Uh, so I don't know if anyone listened to that, but Tom went on a little bit of a, um, a pantastic a riff. An, an eight-mile style <laughs> freestyle rap. So yeah, Tom's sitting in the podcast Sin Bin, otherwise known as Test Cricket Stand. At, he's, he's, he's at Edgebass. Uh, I think Richard just uh, just exposed his lack of uh, uh, familiarity with Test cricket. Uh, unfortunately, there we go. Is that the Masters? Which one is that? The Masters. That's the PGA. Yeah, PGA. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiger Woods is going to be there. It's gonna be <laughs> but he will be back next time. Uh, but this week we have a special guest. Uh, just a stone throw away from the accounting web towers is hometown glory for the founder of Bristol-based bookkeeping firm, But The Books. It's Zoe Whitman. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, Zoe. And uh, we'll be hearing more about your story later on in the pod. And as an aside, I absolutely didn't research those Adele songs on Wikipedia about five minutes before we started the pod. Hmm. Um, And later we'll be joined by a man who needs no introduction, so we're not going to give him one. It's John Stockdyke. Uh, so John will be giving us a lowdown on Zero's $70 million acquisition of HubDoc, but more on that later. But first, um, Fran, can you walk us through the headlines on the site? It would be my pleasure. Uh, so the top stories this week, uh, the first up we've got uh, an, an article by Andy Keats, surcharge squashed for late paid APN. Uh, one of our members uh, pointed out that quashed would have most likely been the more proper verb to use, but alas, we went for squashed. Uh, A taxpayer who was asked to uh, pay a tax bill which had been postponed for eight years had a reasonable excuse for not being able to produce the full amount due within 28 days, so that went down really well. Second, there's some guy called Richard Hattersley uh, Mm. who wrote this uh, disciplinary orders roundup for July 2018. This month's disciplinary roundup features a sole practitioner who was excluded after he failed to respond promptly to his clients and an ACA, ACCA member who faces a massive fine of £41,000, so do check that out. And then finally, uh, sweet success for HMRC in, chocolate, in a chocolate VAT case. Dan Rice, uh, it's an, 
wrote this one for us. It's another tasty first-year tribunal ruling on the intricacies of VAT law for food products. This time it's chocolate, the pure dark variety used for cooking. Excellent. Sounds like a, uh, a bounty of a case. Oh, <laughs> God. Okay, I won't be here next week. Uh, <laughs> I've been banned from Richard, the you're already on skating on the ice because <laughs> of the Adele stuff. Right? Um, so, yeah, points for discussion today. We're going to be talking about uh, Zoe's practice. So Zoe, um, welcome to the pod. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so, Zoe, just, uh, just give us a little bit of background about yourself and about your firm, but the books. Sure. Um, I'm an accountant. I've been working as an accountant for 16 years now. And um, I started a bookkeeping practice while I was on maternity leave to help startups and people with side projects to do their finances. I work with a lot of creative businesses here in Bristol. So one of the things, there's always the uh, starting up, is sort of having that blank canvas. So when you approached that blank canvas, was was there any sort of things which instantly you thought, that's what I want to go after, that's what I want my uh, practice to look like? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose a few things sort of led up to me starting the practice. Um, before I got started, I'd been volunteering with the Prince's Trust and I was working with young people who um, needed some help with their business plans so they could um, get started really. And uh, sp- I sort of realised that there was this lack of knowledge about finances and none of these people knew what a tax return was. They really needed a lot of hand-holding. And, um, and I'm really interested in startups. I love hearing about people's stories. I always have a great chat with my clients before we talk about any number stuff to see what they're up to. And um, then while I was on maternity leave, a friend of my husband approached me and asked me to have a look at her tax return. Mm. And um, I was thinking, oh, I don't really do this kind of thing. But then I thought, well, I'm on maternity leave. (laughs) Why don't I? Why don't I have a go? And um, from chatting to her and then other people, just found that finance is something that people, particularly creative people who who will you know, openly say that they don't like numbers or don't want to know about numbers. Um, they're finding it hard, and I can really add a lot of value by doing something which, to me, is quite straightforward. Um, and one of the, there's always the, I think there's probably many articles on Counter Web about this one, but one of the things starting out is finding your first clients. And it seems with you, you had that, that scene around the creatives as well. And mm-hmm. what was, what was your approach to finding those clients out? Was sort of networking then sort of your, your main point of uh, getting new clients? Yeah, after that first client, um, I started going to a networking group in Bristol called Freelance Mum, which is a lovely group for people with children to go along to. And um, it, they meet a couple of times a month. And I started to sort of build relationships with other people running small businesses. And that naturally resulted in a, a little sort of a network of clients. And then off the back of that, you start to get referrals, people start to know your name, you know, I'm active on social media, so there are, a lot of these networking groups have Facebook groups, so people will ask questions, and then I'm I'm there, so, and people will know me, so they'll say, well, ask Zoe, she might be able to help, and, you know, naturally just building that presence um, means people sort of start to know you and trust you, and and that's helped my business. Referrals are just so powerful, aren't they? Uh, Even in the, the, the freelancing that I've done, for writing is that the second you build up any kind of like decent reputation or link with someone how it, it just sort of like it, it, it almost gets its own momentum yeah definitely I got my first my first client my first retainer client came from a recommendation on LinkedIn yeah. and I think that somebody else recommending you 
is so much more powerful than any kind of sales pitch you can do mm. because I can talk to you for hours about what I can offer you but if someone says I've worked with Zoe and she mm. was really good and made it easy for me mm. that's gonna that's gonna win yeah and people are busy man like uh, it's ultimately someone has a thing that needs to be done and they go to their friend and say like oh, I've got this thing that needs to be done I don't know what to do and like oh well I know someone just yeah just yeah. quick no one wants to go trawling for no. uh, for for someone who can help them no. It's like it's the power of um, social media as well and digital marketing. It's something which we've seen uh, spike in the last few years on in the accounting excellence entries where more firms are using digital marketing. It doesn't seem like they're just using it just to pump out links anymore. You're using it for some quality conversations and, and using it just beyond tweets. So how do you... You mentioned before we started the podcast that one thing in particular was Instagram that you used. Yeah. And you wouldn't normally think that Instagram would be a place where you'd be able to get new clients. No, no, that's true. Um, but it's something I thought about for a while. I was on Twitter and Facebook and things like that. And what you said about engagement is really important. You can't just mm. broadcast stuff. People don't just want you to go, oh, hi, I'm doing something today. Mm. They want to start a conversation with you and you know, so you can help them with their problems. That's part of building a relationship before you take on a client. Um, but my clients mainly are creative people. So the, the platform that they're using is Instagram. They're doing visual things. They're, look, they're scrolling through Instagram every day. So for me to be on Instagram just makes sense because then they find me, I'm there. If they need a bookkeeper, I'm already there in their face, you know? Yeah. And a, a client has said to me, she came to me because I'm on Instagram, which makes me current. She didn't have to look around. Um, so yeah, that's worked quite well for me. And it means I can share, con I've got lots of content on my website, lots of blog posts and things. So I'm using that to create Instagram posts. I sometimes do a story and it, people just get to know who I am and, and that's helped me a lot. Hmm. What kind of things do you post on Instagram? So I, I'll post a, a, a blog post alternately I suppose where I'm just sort of asking a question you know, do you know about this or what's your problem about this here's something that might help you they're only quick reads they're mm. easy I don't want to make find that scary that's another thing that yeah. is really important to my practice the people I'm working with find finance inherently scary and I want to make it accessible and just put them at ease so I've got just short articles that will answer a simple question and then the other things are just it might just be something I'm doing today you know maybe I'll get you guys to be in a photo with me later and we'll <laughs> stick on Instagram but that can get a conversation started you know I do this how do you do whatever how do you keep your paperwork or how do what do you do to relax or mm. what do you do outside of your business it definitely seems like uh, when you start your practice the first thing you really need to know is know your clients and know the clients that you want and uh, you, you're going where you want, where your clients are going to be as well. You, so that's an important lesson. Then uh, you you mentioned there about your going after the creative industries and startups. It's a lot of conversation about niching at a uh, early start. Was that a consideration about that being a restriction at all when you started? Um, I think there's a big creative industry here in Bristol where I am. As I grow, it might become more of an issue, but there are larger businesses doing creative things there are lots of graphic design agencies and things like that um i like working with interesting businesses who, are, who have lovely creative businesses so that is what i'm trying you know those are the people that i'm targeting my services at it might change in the future but i hope that i'll always have that interesting twist it's good to have that specialism as well yeah people know me in the industry as well they'll you know if someone is a graphic designer and says i, I need an accountant or a bookkeeper sorry then they will just say, oh, I work with Zoe, this is what she does. So mm. that's easy. And um, Zoe, you're going to 
a big decision time as well. You're moving it, taking the practice full time as well. Yeah. So you talk us about your decision to do that and uh, how that's come about. Sure. Um, I think I mentioned I started the business on maternity leave and I kind of had this idea that I wanted, I was going to go back to work, but maybe I didn't want to work full time and yeah. it'd be nice to have a bit of flexibility, maybe have a day a week of work. And I sort of targeted to have a day a week of work doing my freelance thing, but the books. Um, and that has, that was great on maternity leave. That was fine. I could work it around my little one. Um, and I've been back at work just this year and um, it's just got to a point where I've got a lot of work, a lot yeah. of leads. I, I can start, you know, I, I think I need to start taking on subcontractors, maybe employees at some point in the future. But even that, there's an investment of time in training those people. I've still got new leads at the same time and there's work to do. So I was in this tricky place where either I worked all the hours at the weekend and the evenings, which I am doing, um, or I stopped running the business, or I put my child in full-time nursery care, which isn't what I wanted to yeah. do. So to be the same purpose of what you wanted Absolutely. Yeah. So it was very much either I stopped running the business or I just give this everything. And if I don't do it now, I think I'm going to lose the momentum I've got. So I decided mm. to yeah take that leap. Great stuff. And um, in terms of... Um, in terms of uh, making that leap now, we, we spoke a little bit before the, before the podcast about what kind of momentum you felt was required before you sort of uh, took that jump now from work, having the stability of like a, like a paycheck, even if it's part-time. Um, what, what, like what triggered it? Like what kind of preparations did you make? Sure. Um, so I've been trading for about 18 months. I have got some clients on retainer, mm. so I know that I've got that money coming in every month, yeah. as long as everything you know, carries on nicely with those clients. Um, I then have other bits of occasional work that I can bolt, you know, tax returns, that's a one-off job. Yeah. So um, if I can go after more of that work, then I know there are some months that they're gonna be better than others. My business has money in the bank. I have some personal savings, so mm. lucky, you know, I'm lucky that if the business doesn't take off straight away, I will be able to you know, draw on that, yeah. but I have got a plan. You know, I know how many clients I need on retainer. I know what kind of margins that I need if I'm taking on subcontractors mm. um, to really make this a viable business. I don't want this to be a, a, just a job. I want this to be a proper business, and, mm. and I need to think of it as a, mm. as a larger organisation. Yeah, it's a very it's very true because I mean, like in in in, in startup world, they often talk about um, like a break even point. Mm -hmm. Like just being, being being familiar of where that point is, where like it lapses into being like a profitable, sustainable business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't have a lot of overheads. Mm. I, I work from home. I sometimes work in a desk sharing place. Mm. So there aren't a lot of costs. I've invested mm. a bit in marketing and making mm. sure I understand. You know, that's helped me with the Instagram thing. I have spent a bit on that, but that's got me in a good place so I can drive the business forward. Great. Great. And it seems like the the uh, the the power of the tools now available that there isn't going to be that massive hit if, if you're able to work from home and uh, the uh, the social media tools just for sort of that grassroots marketing as well is so accessible these days that those barriers barriers to entry as well and yeah. certainly much lower especially when you you consider the uh, any cloud accounting that you're going to be using as well as is it makes it much more easier if, if you did want to take that path and start your own firm. Yeah, there's so much you just pay for as a month. There's a monthly direct debit coming out for various bits of software I'm using, and mm. then I could just cancel those if I wanted to. So, mm. And yeah, social media um, marketing is free. And we all use Facebook, but mm. it's easy, isn't it? You just do it for a business. 
Great stuff, thanks Zoe. Um, we're going to be now uh, speaking with our global editor, John Stockdyke, who's going to be giving us the lowdown on Zero's big acquisition this week. The next voice you're going to hear is the man himself. Over to you, John. Okay, we're now joined on the line by Counterweb's global editor, John Stockdyke. We couldn't pass on this opportunity to talk about uh, Zero's big acquisition this week. So, John, um, what happened and why is it a big deal? Okay, well, it's a big deal because Zero are paying across $60 million up front in cash and shares, followed by a little golden handshake of another $10 million in about 18 months to acquire HubDoc, which is a sort of data capture and online electronic store. So uh, HubDoc will go off and interrogate bank accounts and supplier accounts. And, and you can email it. it. It's sort of a multi-source data capture tool. And then it, it sort of extracts the information and stores it in a central repository. So and, and then you can sort of import it to whatever accounting application you're using. Um, you know, the, the, this is, it, it's a sort of companion or rival to the, the classic expense capture apps we know of from, from the likes of Receipt Bank, Auto Entry, and Data Molino. Uh, but it just does more. It sort of plugs into um, these supplier accounts and, and the actual, it goes to the source to get the data wherever possible and will back it up with a PDF or paper or email if it has to. Uh, it may not have escaped people's notice that, that Receipt Bank actually introduced a uh, very similar functionality in its invoice fetch feature a week or so ago. And when Tom Herbert, the editor, wrote his piece about that, he, I think he, there was a few bit of sensitivity because he sort of predicted that this fetch idea spelled the, potentially spelled the end of optical character recognition, the, the, the taking the picture and capturing the data from a receipt. You know, why bother with that process? If you can just go get the information direct, you know, from a bank account or from 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 the online account you have with that supplier or bank, um, as I say, Receipt Bank might have been a little bit sensitive about that idea and implication because it, you know, there's a lot of product they use that do that. But essentially, the rationale that Zero gave us for why they wanted to acquire HubDoc and plug it into their accounting engine was exactly that they want to be part of a complete data flow from the supplier right through to the accounts. And, you know, if it has to be MTD, you know, that will be part of the, the workflow as well. Thanks, John. Uh, thanks for that update. When we come back, we'll hear more from Francois and also our special guest today, Zoe Whitman. Right, we're back now with uh, back with the core gang again. We've got Zoe still with us, um, and we're going to be now talking in the second half about Brexit and out of office messages. So, Fran, you put together this story this week about Brexit. Um, hopefully, you've solved the. Uh, the, I've, the I've, I've solved it. It's done. No way. I made a deal. Flew to Brussels. I just thrashed it out. Me and me, me and Jean Claude Juncker made made a few deals. It's great. Don't worry about it. Everybody calm down. <laughs> Thanks, no. Fran. Now on to out of office messages. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So uh, just prompted by the um, the uh, 
the guide that the ICAW had put out um, uh, alongside the, the the Irish equivalent of the ICAW, I think it's called the CAI, um, as a business guide uh, to a no-deal Brexit. Now, it, this is interesting for numerous reasons because it's sort of indicative of how the, the very concept of a no-deal Brexit, like once unthinkable, if you think back to the referendum, even like the hardest Brexiters were saying, like, oh, no, they're going to forge a new deal with Europe and all this stuff. Um, now this concept of a no-deal Brexit is becoming <laughs> increasingly likely. Uh, Jeremy Hunt just the other day basically said, like, oh, yeah, we're, we're sort of like sleepwalking into, uh, into a no-deal Brexit at the moment. Uh, and it does feel like we are sort of meandering towards that now. Um, now, that means a few things, right? Um, that means uh, Britain becomes a third country. Uh, it was going to become a third country anyway, but it becomes a third country uh, much in the way that, uh, like, Senegal is a third country mm. or uh, the United States is a third country. Um, it means paying duties. Uh, it means uh, intricacies when it comes to VAT on imports. Um, and it's also a problem given the fact that, that uh, British industry and British trade is just so intertwined with Europe because we had this frictionless um, frictionless area for so long trade area for so long uh, we, we're talking about even supply chains where people aren't even importing whole things they're importing um, certain parts uh, that they need for production so that people are going to have to audit the entire um, chain of like logistics to make sure that they like that, that they are um, where they're sourcing things from it's, it's just a massive headache I think the trouble is we hear so much about Brexit. It seems like not a day can go by without someone mentioning the dreaded B word. Mm. And because you hear it so much, you can almost just ignore it. It just feels like, oh well, it's just something else, something else. And I, I, Zoe, for you, like your clients, is that something that they're sort of feeling like, oh, that again, it's, it's not, it's, everyone's talking about it, it's just become something which it's not that tangible let's not really I, think about yeah, it I think people just don't know what it's going to mean for them so it's hard to have any kind of decision about it yeah the um uh, the this one writer uh I, I read a book recently called amusing as hell to death and the, this guy Neil Postman he he coined this phrase called the the information action ratio where we sort of like we just just smashed with all this information about Brexit and there's all this like intrigue and like political posturing and agitation and stuff but what you can actually do about it is so finite and limited that you're sort of just helplessly watching this happen and just, you're kind of just on the on the boat deck of the Titanic just waiting to see what happens um, there's yeah there's a very very strong uh, mismatch between the amount of information we're, we're being hit with and what we can actually do about it as ordinary citizens. Um, it's it's a shame given the fact that it could have a very, very negative impact on the economy if it goes really badly. Um, that said, I do have a bit of a pet theory that we're gonna have a second referendum. That's my that's my that's my bet. We're please, calling it here. We're please, calling it here. Right now I'm I'm laying my stake I'm I'm gonna die on that hill. Uh, I'm laying my stake in the sand. Uh, yeah, so do uh, DM me on Twitter to tell me that I'm wrong at some point, <laughs> please. So that, and where can they find you on Twitter, Fran, just for uh, that abuse? At Fran Bearbad. <laughs> so from out of Europe to out of office, um, the story, the final story this week is about this quirky feature that was on the BBC website this week 
about the out-of-office emails. I'm sure your inboxes are full of these auto-reply messages, many of which are put together about five minutes before you, you go out the door and you think, that's it, already in your sandals and the beach ball under your arm <laughs> and your out-of-office is just switched on. Um, but some people are bucking this trend some people deciding to add a little bit of personality, a bit of humour to their uh, to their out of office. In particular, there was um, one one person, Stephen Nelson, who is a veteran writer of elaborate out of office responses, according to the Beeb, who who went with a uh, out of office inspired by uh, Rick Astley's uh, "Never Gonna Give You Up." So he went for, and I'm not going to sing it. Uh, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you, never going to make you cry, never going to say goodbye, never going to lie, tell a lie and hurt you. I'm also never going to reply to your message until 9th of August as I'm on holiday. I also like the fact that you just indirectly rickrolled our audience. <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah, I'd, any, what's your out of office, uh, Fran? Have you My got out one? of office is uh, I'm very much of the five minutes before <laughs> I leave variety of just basically leave me alone until said date. And if it's desperate or really, really important, just harass Tom Herbert. <laughs> How about you, Zoe? Is, uh, are you uh, more beach ball under the arm, walking out the door, out of office, don't need one? Do you know I haven't got an out of office? I um, I just reply to people even if I'm on holiday. Oh, Zoe. I know, I know. Zoe. It's that always on culture, though, isn't it? It's difficult to shake off. Yeah, I'll work on that. <laughs> well, that sort of circling back to our talk about um, your practice story to begin with. Work-life balance is a, a difficult thing to manage, and especially when you're starting your practice, you feel like you always have to be on hand. Um, is that something which you're feeling at the moment, that work-life balance? Yeah, it's difficult? really, it is very difficult, and I am, um, you know, we mentioned that I'm leaving my job to go full-time, but I am still working at the moment. I'm, so I'm three days a week in my job, and then I do this just on Thursdays at the moment. Um, so the rest of the time, although I've got my little one, I am trying to reply to emails, answer calls, take take calls from new potential clients, I work at night, at the weekends, so that's very much driven the decision to just go full time and just focus on the business and then I hope it's going to give me a bit more time in the evenings again. Oh great, so put that out of office on, yeah. that's what it is. Uh, am I out of office? Um, there, there was one time when I, where I went on holiday and I did the five minutes before leaving, I put my out of office on and this is a, a warning story to those who do this five minutes before leaving. I put my out of office on, not really checking my, my out of office and I realised that I didn't actually change the date and the end date was six months time at Christmas which led to many people thinking I was going on a long sabbatical yeah. over that period of time. Yeah. We finally took you out to pasture. <laughs> I didn't realise yeah, he was yeah. leaving the business yeah, going that yeah, long. Yeah. I will be back at Christmas. <laughs> I will see you then. <laughs> yeah, just taking taking time out to work on your novel. <laughs> uh, so, Fran, when you're not working on your novel, where can people find you on the web or on, just in general? Where do you live? It's like, yeah, you can just gonna share my geodata with, <laughs> with people so they can track me in real time. Um, yeah, no, so you can usually find me shouting about stuff on Twitter. Um, uh, so yeah just at Fred Fanberbad uh, also connect with me on LinkedIn I'm always happy to connect with relevant people and also just have discussions and interesting interesting t tidbits but yeah 
Great stuff. And Zoe, thanks for joining us today. Where can we learn more about your practice and more about yourself? Um, you can find me online at butthebooks.co.uk and I'm on Instagram and Twitter at but underscore the underscore books. Great stuff. Thanks, Zoe. And you can find me, if you want, uh, on Twitter. I'm at AwebRichard. So do... are, you, are you on Instagram, Rich? Um... No filter. No filter, no filter. <laughs> I, I am on Instagram, but it's, it's private and it's largely just my dog. Well, that's why I, I, I was interested by... I'm just extending this podcast beyond... <laughs> We've already, it's like a Return of the King. I'm just having another ending. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was interested in what you said there, Zoe, about the using Instagram, because I wouldn't know what to put on there, and I'm, I'm sure many accountants don't know what to put on there. So it's really interesting that you are finding ways to do that. Because um, I'm sure no one wants to see pictures of me just... Just selfies. <laughs> <laughs> selfies by uh, Bristol Harborside. <laughs> uh, yeah, Richard on tour. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, hopefully um, if you check out Tom Herbert's Instagram, you'll be able to follow him at the Masters. Was it golf? He was going the golf. To no, the golf. The, is, the, is it Formula One, I think? Formula One, Formula One. Is that the one with the bats? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, follow Tom. I'm sure he's on Instagram. But until then, join us next time on No Accounting for Taste for all your exciting accounting news, talk, and discussions. And we'd also like to thank QuickBooks for sponsoring the No Accounting for Taste podcast. So thanks all, and we will see you next time on No Accounting for Taste. Thank you to Intuit QuickBooks for sponsoring this podcast. For more information, go to quickbooks.co.uk forward slash delightful. Uh, Richard Hatsley back on the podcast. Uh, we have we learned this week um, some sad news that a friend of Accounting Web, uh, Chapman, sadly passed away. Um, John, he was quite a long time member. Have you got any fond memories of uh, Chapman? Well, well, I think we both do, Richard. You know, all those gatherings down in London around the account ex at the at the Slug and Letter to Canary Wharf. Um, he was always a fixture there, um, and also he, he's come along and been really helpful to us for some of our software workshops and the like. You know, he, he's always been really good at giving feedback, and and you know, not just with Accounting Web, but to other accountants on the site. You know, just absolutely exemplary member. Um, it's it's a really really sad story. I think it was after a meeting with members at at, at AccountX this year. He you know he said he had some tests and the tests came back the next couple of days and it wasn't good news. And you know remember that's just barely two months ago. Uh, so it was it, it was cancer, uh, the Hodgkin's lymphoma, and, and very pernicious and very fast. And you know some of the regulars in that group. Uh, Lindsay, Lacutus, uh, Paul Scholes, you know, they actually rallied around and helped him during that period. You know, I think there were things like dealing with his clients. So, so you know, the circumstances are really, really sad and, and, and you know, unpleasant for him and, and his family members. You know, there are a lot of repercussions, but, but you know, he, he, he really did embody the spirit of what this community is about. And I think the way that, that the other members kind of, went to his aid you know when he needed help was was you know beyond beyond a compare you know just just you know really sad occasion but but it's i'm, I'm really pleased that that you know we got to know him and and other other accountants could be there for him when he needed it 
Absolutely, yes, it was incredibly sad news. And um, as you can tell by the um, condolences on account of Web, who's a well thought of member. So um, we'd like to pay respects to Chapman.